Welcome back to the Scarlet Faithful Podcast. I'm Aaron Brightman coming to you on Wednesday, December 13th, and happy to have David Anderson back to discuss a lot going on with Rutgers football, just a little bit more than two weeks out from the bowl game uh, in the Pennstripe Bowl against Miami. But a lot of roster news uh, in the last few days. Wanted to focus on that for this episode. David, thanks for being back. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Real quick before we jump into football talk, I wanted to just say thank you to the uh, Rutgers alumni group that hosted a party prior to the Wake Forest game up in Winston-Salem last week. Uh, special special thanks to Sam Barrett as well as Jamie, who kind of hosted the event. It was nice to see a lot of Rutgers fans down in South, and hopefully uh, I can see some more of them when you know the baseball team comes to town uh, or a lot of times early next season. So thanks again to Sam and Jamie for doing that. We had a good time. Awesome. So uh, initial thoughts in terms of, uh, you know, eight starters have announced that they're returning for next season, waiting on a couple more, which we can get into. But uh, just in terms of Kyle Manungai, obviously the Big Ten's leading rusher, uh, in my opinion, the MVP of this team, just in terms of what he meant for the offense. Uh, what are your thoughts on him returning and the impact that it's going to have on the program? Yeah, I uh, thought a lot about this. I know we talked in the past about how if he left, especially because we thought he probably should have left um, for his like potential future, his stock is as high as it will be. But when you think about it, He's a guy who doesn't really have the measurables like an Isaiah Pacheco who was even drafted in the seventh round. So if the choices are being a an undrafted free agent who's just trying to catch on elsewhere versus coming back to Rutgers, likely being able to be, you know, getting a little bit of NIL money, being like a star of the team, being the engine that goes. I mean, I, I definitely can see why he made that decision. And just a quick tangent on NIL, the more I was thinking about this, Rutgers does not have a brand that is really strong historically, like you might be able to see for some of these other teams, and they have a lot of competition in the New York market. So if you're pitching NIL and you're, you know, working on that, um, you're going to have to get someone good. Like you can't, it's not like, you know, in Alabama, if the starting running back leaves and then the backup running back is, you know, doing a commercial for the local Ford dealership. And most people in Tuscaloosa probably know who the backup running back is in the New York area. I mean, how Manungai has some name recognition and he has proven to be a star player. So it's, I don't think if he was to leave that someone else would be able to immediately pick up that those like branding opportunities. And so I think from a Rutgers standpoint, you know, it's not like that money is just going to go just the next person up. So there's probably some, you know, unique circumstances there with Manungai that, you know, might have made sense for him to come back in terms of on the field performance. I mean, when I was doing my list of the most indispensable players to Rutgers this season, in terms of becoming a, a bold team, he was the only guy on the offense in the top five, maybe top six in terms of how important they were, um, Maybe, you know, Holland Pierce, we'll talk about him in a second. But, you know, otherwise, other than Manungai, like, he was the offense at times. When he – the blocking was there for five yards, he got six or seven. And like we saw from Minnesota this year when they did not have Mo Ibrahim, even though they had highly touted guys, 
those extra few yards that just willing yourself to first downs, especially in third and long, just the threat of that being there. I can't promise that Sam Brown or Aaron Young or Deshaun Benjamin would do that next year if they were in those situations. So from, from that standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, from a on the field standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, from a, you don't know what you're going to get from the, from everybody else standpoint, you have to say that this might, this is good for the team next year. Is it good for the team two or three years from now? I don't know. Is it better for them two years from now? I don't know. But is it better for the running back room next year? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I think um, it is interesting that he decided to come back. I think from an NIL perspective, I think you're right uh, in terms of the marketing aspect, but I think, uh, and this is a chance to recognize Knights of the Raritan. I, th- I think it's much more collective based than you know brand based in terms of right. the NIL. I think that they have a lot to. I think they're doing exactly what they said they always wanted to do, right? Which was roster retention, keeping Rutgers student athletes at, at Rutgers, and I think they've had a, a big role in doing that with the football players that are returning. I think that it's also showing that you know. I think you made a good point about Manungai. If he, it probably he probably did weigh the risks of okay, if I'm not drafted, if I'm just an undrafted signed free agent, and I don't make a team, you know, versus he basically has in hand by coming back with whatever nil deals he's getting. um, You can see why that makes sense, Uh, and, and you know, running backs are you know even less valued by NFL teams you know, of late than they were even two, three years ago right. is a weak draft class for running back. So I thought that was a little bit surprising, um, you know, and obviously your, your lifespan as a running back in the pros is, is, is less. So it's interesting, but it's a credit to Rutgers too, right? That he wants to come back that, and, and I think it's also, it's not just these guys saying they're coming back, but it's the fact that they're not even exploring the transfer portal. I think that that's huge as well. And I think you have to believe that that Knights of the Rare and the Collective is it has a big part in doing that. And they're they're doing their mission that they said they were going to do, which was retain players. I think on the flip side of that, which we'll get into a little bit, is is the reality of the transfer portal. But um, yes, Manungai absolutely huge. And I think you know for the bowl game now, going into the bowl game to have Manungai to where the offense is essentially, you know, in its groove. They they that they're fully operational in terms of their weapons. Uh, it really gives Rutgers, a, a, I think, a leg up on Miami in the sense of they have a running back down, you know, that that's out of, of the game. Their starting quarterback, obviously, Van Dyke's not there. So I think that Rutgers certainly has a, a very realistic chance to win this game now. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's where I was talking a little bit about the emotional standpoint because, I mean, we'll talk plenty about Miami as probably our listeners know, or especially when they used to read us when we were at our previous stop, I lived in Miami for three years. um, And so I probably watched, I watched more hurricanes game than any team other than Rutgers. And so they're, I don't know what to expect from them. They're a team that sometimes doesn't have their soul anyway. And so the fact that Rutgers does is a huge boost in a game. That's probably going to be cold. If, you're in Miami. You don't want to go up to New Jersey, New York area to play in these conditions. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be all about how excited they are during the game, but also the preparation, right? And having that extra juice and preparation that I talk about every week during this entire season is an underrated part of this whole thing. And the momentum Rutgers has generated from players returning, including Menangai, 
I think is going to help them stay a little bit more focused, especially the older players who are not getting as many reps as they try to give those to the younger guys, you know, in these previous weeks uh, up until game week itself. Yeah. And I think the fact that, you know, Manungai referenced, you know, unfinished business and uh, a lot of the guys that are returning have, have referenced something to that degree. So they're not, you know, th this bowl game is their first step towards accomplishing, you know, on the tables, the first winning season in nine years, obviously would be a huge momentum boost for the program going into the off season for recruiting, um, for the confidence and just, you know, outlook for next season. So it really is a big game for all of them that are coming back uh, and sets them could potentially really set them up for more progress next season. So I think it went from a game that potentially, you know, might not have meant as much to uh, the team that was returning if they're missing a lot of guys to now, you know, this team is, is focused on next season, which makes this game even bigger than it would have been otherwise. For sure. For so, sure. Go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say, you know, the other most important guy in the offense uh, was definitely Holland Pierce, without a doubt. And he also announced his return. We talked about him a lot uh, in terms of it did seem to make logical sense for him to come back because he still can improve, even though he was ranked in the top five, especially in pass protection among tackles in the Big Ten. But that's the type of guy where on the offensive line, if you don't get a spot in an NFL team or at least a practice squad, it's really hard to get better. And so another year of development in college, like teams are not shying away from drafting offensive linemen, even at age 23 or 24, because they have a longer lifespan as well as the fact that guys are getting injured so much and you can't, it's not like on defense where, okay, if your safety goes down, you might be able to play some more four, three looks like on offense, you need five linemen. And so if one of them goes down, you got to put in another lineman. And if he goes down, you got to put in another lineman. Like there's not another option in terms of personnel. So there's teams that need them, but also any additional development that you can get would be great. And of course, you know, Pierce is going to be anchoring that line once again. And I, I don't, I mean, we saw what we got from Willie Tyler last year. And I haven't checked Tyler's grades this year. He did start on a Louisville team that was ranked, that was in the ACC championship game. I'm sure we'll get some jokes about that in the comments. But he was not as good as Holland Pierce at left tackle. Holland Pierce this year was better than Willie Tyler was last year, without a doubt. By every metric, the eye test, just other than maybe run blocking on that drive against Boston College, I would take Holland Pierce every time. In, in, in a heads-up situation. And so the biggest thing to me is if you were to leave, I just don't know if they're ready. And you never want to replace two tackles. You hear about that in the NFL a lot, how it's really, really hard to replace your two tackles in the offseason. Well, imagine if you're doing that in college and you don't have like NFL free agency in the NFL draft, right? So, I mean, for me, Pierce returning – could be argued was the most important guy coming back because of the position he plays because of how much you would need to replace other than him in his position group. And because compared to, for example, the defense we'll get to in a minute, there are some things you can do schematically tactically that are different, but on the offensive line, you only have one proven tackle and that's him. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great points there. And I think for him too, it also makes sense. I mean, you're playing for Pat Flaherty, who, you know, is a proven uh, successful NFL coach, has a ton of connections uh, to have two years under him in terms of development wise and for his connections and contacts. And, you know, obviously his ability to uh, help him in that process the following year. I think there's a lot of value to that too. And I think Shiano, you know, has been very good about we saw in his first tenure and now in his second tenure in developing that pipeline of the NFL as a recruiting tool, uh, which, you know, in this day and age, you need every edge you can get. And I think that uh, that's been something that he's proven the program is very good at doing in terms of development. And we've seen in recent years, you know, uh, with obviously Pacheco, Izzy and, you know, guys that were not drafted high that ended up, you know, starting and becoming key guys on their teams. Uh, and having a guy like Pat Flaherty brings a ton of value to that offensive line group and is, I think, a big part of the reason why Pierce is returning. Um, in terms of offense, also have uh, left guard Brian Felter returning and uh, leading receiver Christian Dremel. Uh, obviously, slot guy led them in receiving yards, 440, former walk-on. Um, I think for a, a receiving group that, you know, doesn't have – still has a lot of, of unproven – players in that group to know you get you're getting him back i think is also um you know something that should be valued also yeah i mean i guess with dremel i think that in a if the offense is better he's going to be able to match his production even if he doesn't play every snap mm -hmm. because when we're talking about this passing game taking the next step right it's not a matter of you know Dremel's going to have to get 15 more catches. No. I mean, in an ideal situation, like you see with NFL teams, their receivers don't play every snap. They they rotate in and out a lot. They stay fresh. There's routes that are better for them, plays that are better for this player to be in on the field for. you know. And so the fact that Dremel comes back, he, really what you're, expect, what you're hoping for is that he can reproduce what he did this year and other guys can do more, including the quarterback and the other receivers. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't expect him to be first team all Big Ten. Now, is is it possible that he can do more? He's proven us wrong every step of the way so far. So I feel you know good about that. But you're not. You need more help at receiver, but if you were to lose him, it's the same thing with Pierce. Well, then who is your proven slot receiver? Your backup slot receiver just transferred to Indiana State. So, you know, replacing two slot receivers, right, versus replacing your your second string uh, is going to be an easier thing to do, especially when on an offense you're trying to figure out, like, when your team's good, you think everybody's good. When your team's bad, you think everybody's bad. So the hard part is, like, trying to parse those things out. So if you know, okay, Christian Dremel brings us X at the slot, you know, receiver position, then you can kind of use that as a as a baseline when you're trying to evaluate the other players in the depth chart as well as at other positions on the offense. In terms of Felter, yeah, I mean, I he's definitely a little bit undersized, but offensive linemen get stronger. Some of them get quicker every year. So the fact that he's playing, I always was surprised he wasn't playing because I thought his 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 sample size was always pretty good. And so the thing with him as well is the same kind of thing as Dremel, where if you were to leave, now you're placing two guards in the starting lineup. It's much easier to replace one. Now guards easier than tackle, maybe a receiver, but 
if but at the same token, if two guards step up, if if Asamoah gets way better, maybe a transfer comes in and they're better and they and they beat him out, so be it, right? Like I mean, I don't think and that's one of the things I like about Felter. He's never shied away from the competition. We've never heard anything from him that he was, you know, complaining about playing time or anything like that. So, you know, he seems like he has the personality that's like, bring it on. And to be able to succeed at his position, you kind of have to have that mentality anyway. So I think that on the offense, you know, bringing back four starters, a good chance that all four of them could have been gone, at least three. You know, and whether it be transfer portal or NFL is kind of kind of a huge deal for this offense that they cannot afford to take a step backwards if they're going to try to take a step forwards next season. Right. And that taps in exactly what I wanted to say was, you know, I, I think that this definitely ensures that the floor does not lower. Right. It brings a certain stability to the offense that you have proven guys that, you know, how much higher of a ceiling can this offense have? That's to be determined. But you know that there's right now with those four guys, there's not going to be this huge drop off uh, because and what I like about all four of them, they all four have personal journeys that they've all been resilient in their careers. And I think that that brings a certain toughness to this team that they desperately need. Uh, so I think that having all four of those guys back is definitely uh, really important. And uh, we'll go back into the offense in a little bit, but let's uh, pivot to the defense where four key players have all announced they're returning as well. Still waiting on a couple, but um, just in terms of Motoray, Aaron Lewis, Tyreen Powell, and Wesley Bailey now, um, all saying that they're going to be back. Uh, and, and obviously, other than Powell, should be available for the bowl game. Uh, what are your initial thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, as I guess I'll just start with Bailey really quickly because I, I really don't know what to expect from him next year. I thought he was playing hurt this year. The I team so. really did not get much of a pass rush with the front four once Toure had to play full-time linebacker. So, I mean, I, I Wesley Bailey's not ready to go to the NFL. The, the risk for him would have been once Toure was coming back, Aaron Lewis is back, would he think he needs to go somewhere for more snaps? And I'm glad that he didn't have people in his ear that were telling him the wrong thing because the bottom line is if Wesley Bailey plays with the kind of explosiveness that we have seen him at his peak, he's going to be on the field. Like they'll move Terry to linebacker. They'll move Aaron Lewis inside, whatever it takes because Wesley Bailey not being what he's capable of and Toure having to play linebacker. Just, we saw how much they struggled to get a pass rush. I mean, Maryland Tagovailoa was back there all day unless they brought a blitz. So, you know, Bailey obviously seemed like, in my opinion, unless he had people in his ear that were just not really making too much sense, uh, or he was offered some insane amount of money to go somewhere else, which I also don't really see why someone would, a team would do that, but you never know. That, that kind of, I mean, working your way down the line. So then in terms of Aaron Lewis, as I mentioned previously, it's like he does everything well. And a lot of times that is something you don't think about, but – when I was thinking about this, watching some of the NFL games on Sunday, you know, on offense, you can have a receiver who kind of has not great hands, but at least they still have to cover him in single coverage because if he's wide open, you can throw him the ball. You Or, you know, maybe you have a tight end who can't block, so he only plays in receiving situations, whatever. But on defense, especially on the defensive line, if you have any weakness, they will go right at you. And so the fact that Aaron Lewis is a strength 
in wherever he lines up and the fact that he can line up in a couple different places just makes a huge difference. And then the other thing is that the effort level is contagious. And so Aaron Lewis brings it every time. And I think that that rubs off on the entire group. I mean, you saw how that was for Julius Turner in the past. Aaron Lewis brings that level, except he's more a physically gifted person than Julius Turner. So that makes a huge, a huge difference. Again, a guy who I think he projects a slightly different position in the NFL, and I've talked about that at length. But for a good player in college on the lines is going to be good in any system. And so I, I had him as only my sixth or seventh most important guy to Rutgers being six and six this year. But I think that that was the absolute floor of that ranking. And it's entirely possible that if they didn't have him, we would have really missed it. So, I mean, in terms of the defensive line, like it's just really great to have Bailey and Lewis back. And then like we talked about with receiver as well as, you know, running back, if the other guys can step in and fill a rotational role, that's just even better because then your starters can play less snaps and they can probably be more effective when they are in there. So there's no downside. There's no like log jam by having too many defensive linemen that simply does not exist. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, Rutgers that they weren't able to develop that depth along the defensive line. I think they thought they were going to be able to. So having those guys back. And I think the other thing with Lewis is that, you know, the attention that he warrants in the scouting report from the other team, you know, how many times is he double teamed? And we even saw him triple teamed at times. I mean, he, he uh, demands, um, you know, uh, the other teams to game plan against him, which right. does help open up opportunities for other guys. And I think that's where Ture was so good in his versatility and being able to move around. Rutgers was able to exploit, I think, that a little bit in terms of teams having to focus on Lewis. And then they were able to slide Ture into spots where he could take advantage. Uh, so just transitioning to Ture, I mean, he's been phenomenal this year and has come back. Uh, and I think you rightly said, you know, it's been a little bit different for the defense as a whole since he filled in for Powell. But at the same time, you know, I think he also did a very good job in doing that. It was just different. But uh, at the, I, I think, you know, now a year and a half after the injury, I mean, he could be even better next year. And I think he, you know, arguably is the MVP of the defense this year. What are, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, on my list, I had him number one most important player as to why Rutgers was 6-6. Six and six. Yeah. And, you know, most of those wins came before the Powell injury when Ture was able to line up in the interior defensive line, at defensive end, at linebacker. He even had that interception against Ohio State that was a huge play. If Rutgers could have punched it into the end zone right after that, I mean, we might have been talking even more uh, of a close game there. So just that versatility and the game planning is so important. I mean, because – when you're an offense and you don't know where someone's coming from, but you say, okay, we got to protect against this guy. You're going to have to keep extra backs and tight ends into block just in case that guy is there. Right. I mean, obviously I'm not saying, you know, Motoray is, you know, on the level of like the all pro players in the NFL, but when you see what kind of damage someone like uh, Micah Parsons can do, and he's just all over the place. That's that's that is going to cause the entire offensive game plan to be starting with that's where they have to focus their efforts, and everything else is going to be secondary. And we saw that 
when that was gone and he was dropping into coverage, yeah, he he performed better in coverage than we could have expected. Even though, I mean, he he did have that nice interception that was huge in that win against Purdue back in uh, the pandemic season. But just the fact that he can be everywhere and be disruptive in all those positions is a huge thing. Because just because you can play another position doesn't mean that like you're an above average contributor at that spot. Just like we see in basketball, they say, oh, this guy can guard one through four or one through five. Maybe, but if he's not an elite defender, then it makes more sense to have him where he's an elite player. And that's kind of where Ture brings – he's an elite edge rusher. He's an above-average linebacker. Against certain interior linemen, he's an elite interior pass rusher. So, I mean, he led the team in sacks the three full years he played. I don't know what else there is to say on a team that's been starved for pass rush for a year, uh, years, despite how many defensive linemen they've had that have been, you know, pretty good. None of them have been the pass rusher that he's been other than maybe his cousin Kamoko. Right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think uh, I, I thought there was, you know, definitely a solid chance he could go pro, uh, particularly coming off an injury uh, and always having that risk. But uh, hugely he's coming back and uh, obviously, you know, NIL has to be part of that. Uh, and then you have Powell who, you know, we know is not going to be part of the bowl game, uh, but is returning as well. It makes a lot of sense, obviously, m- missing the second half of the season. But, you know, having a healthy Powell back coupled with Terrain and Lewis, I mean, it really gives Rutgers some star power in that front seven, uh, where, again, you know, there's stability. Uh, the seal, the, the floor is the floor. It's not going to, you know, dra- drop at all. Um, and then I guess the question is, you know, how much more, how much higher can they raise the ceiling with those key guys back? Right. I mean, it, this all plays into each other. The fact that Powell's back means that, you're going to feel more comfortable getting Teray in that rotational playing all over the place because you'll have time to just develop. You'll only need to develop one other starting linebacker to be able to do that. Is it Moses Walker? Probably. Is yeah. it a mix of, you know, Timmy Heinzbetter and, you know, Abram Wright and someone else, you know, maybe Jabomi, <laughs> right? Like, is it a mix of one of those guys? Maybe. But this kind of sets you up in a spot where and, – and I, I said this before, you know, this season. I think it's really hard to get more than a two-deep allotment of linebackers ready for a season. Like at running back, like I said, I don't think you can get more than three guys ready for a game. For linebacker, in terms of the reps, in terms of the communication, in terms of – and not just communication amongst the linebackers, but communication with the guys to the front, to the back, to the left, to the right of you it's really hard to have more than now that they play at a four, two, five, it's really hard to have more than two and two backups ready to go. So if Toure is playing some snaps there, then you have Powell. Now this gives you a, an opportunity where you have someone else who's in the two deep, who, if they're good enough to start, they play, you move Toure around. And then you still have an, a position for another guy. Who's one of the, the backups who could potentially get enough snaps, get prepared, and be ready to grow into a larger role as well. Now, this this bowl practice as well as the spring is a good opportunity to figure out who that is. And then by having Powell back, this also kind of goes to the compared to what thing. Because when he's not – like when, when Rutgers lost all their linebackers and they had to play uh, Deontay Roberts, Trevor Morris, all those guys, they're like, yeah, they kind of look pretty good. But compared to what? Like, it's hard to see in practice. Like, now you're going to say, okay, Tyreen Powell is an above-average Big Ten starter. Is Are these other guys even sniffing that 
or do we need to come continue to get them up to that level? And some of that comes from the coaches, but some of that comes from the players because if the players see like how much better this guy is than me, I'm going to use, learn from him, how he's preparing, what he's doing. I mean, obviously you can't grow three or four more inches and be six foot five, like 230 pounds, but in terms of his preparation and you know, how fast he is, how quick he is, things like that. There, there is some player motivation there that when, when you see that guy coming back, I, I think Powell should have come back. I mean, with the injury, I, I think, he is a guy who, from a draftable standpoint, it would only take one team to fall in love with him. And he's the type of guy that, like, he could randomly get selected in the third or fourth round because one team is like, oh, this guy's amazing. But he also runs the risk of not being selected if that doesn't happen because he is so tall. And really the question I have with him is the same as I have with Flip Dixon, who we'll probably get to in a second. Because with that height, there's very few guys who can move like that. And so is was Powell fast enough to get silent to sideline? to get forward and back in terms of his coverage. And I think he generally proved, yes, he was. But showing that more on tape is, you know, helpful for his future prospects. And at the college level, it's definitely enough to be the guy that takes up a lot of space in the middle of a defense. What, any other thoughts on Powell? I know we kind of talked a lot about him when he first got injured. Yeah, well, what you just said is a great point. And I think that that's the question for – for his NFL future is, is he fast enough to do that against NFL speed versus college speed, you know, getting it more on tape in college, but also can that translate in the NFL where, you know, guys he's going to be going up against are even faster than the guys he covers in college. Um, But overall, yeah. I mean, I think just the fact that if you lose, if you lost Powell and Jennings, then yeah, you're kind of pigeonholed with Ture where you probably have to keep him in one of those two spots if not for some tremendous development in the offseason. But now this gives him that flexibility back potentially. And I do think Moses Walker is probably the front runner to start next to Powell next year. All all depends, of course. But, you know, there have been some positive signs in his development towards the second half of the season. So, um, yeah, again, it just gives, I think, the staff the ability to – you know, not have to prioritize everything and they can, they can hone. This is where you hope you you are right year four going into year five, where you have enough established talent that you're plugging holes versus building, uh, looking for building blocks. So I think, we're, and, and in the portal era, it's harder to do that now, right? It's not a given. So I think the fact that they are in the position, they're looking like they are in with all these guys coming back. It's, it's it puts them in a really good position for next year. Now, what, whether that means, you know, significant progress or not, um, I think there's there's confidence enough now that, you know, there shouldn't be much of a drop-off next season. And, of course, the goal is to build off of that. But um, I was personally concerned that if they, you know, started to lose three, four, or five of these guys, these core guys from this year, it, it, it would it would not necessarily be a step back to just go six and six next season. Right. But now right. I think their, their expectations should be, higher and that does go into uh what you just said on uh, obviously we're waiting on flip dixon and robert Longerbeam. uh and when we were talking about this is guys that have one extra year of eligibility left you know guys like desmond mcnewson and shaquan loyal are true juniors so they are expected back but uh flip dixon obviously uh, I, I unless i'm forgetting something definitely that is the the top portal guy they brought in last year made a huge impact big 10 established guy and really looked the part and and stepped up. And I, I personally think after Ture, he was the second most important player on the defense. 
thoughts on his potential return as well as Robert Longerbeam now that we know that Max Melton is, is entering the NFL draft? Yeah, I mean, I when when I was making this list, I I was I had Flip and Longerbeam as my fourth and fifth most important players to the Rutgers defense this year. Again, I don't think that their ceiling is as high as an Aaron Lewis or a Tyreen Powell or even a Max Melton, but from a consistency standpoint, right. they were reliable from the very beginning of the season through all the wins Rutgers had. And yeah, maybe longer beam has worst game of the year at the end, but uh, I, think sure, I think he's hurt. I think he was hurt. He was good the whole year. If if another team had an average receiver and they didn't have a good quarterback, which Rutgers really did not play that many good quarterbacks this year, longer beam was all over him every game. Not a lot of penalties, you know, no illegal contacts, not a lot of pass interference. So my fear with longer beam is the transfer portal. I really think he needs another year before he would go try even the NFL. Um, but he's a type of guy where, again, I'm just throwing random teams out of there. But, like, let's say a team from the SEC, like, let's say Florida State had, like, all three of their corners go to the NFL because they had an amazing, uh, you know, defense and, you know, undefeated and everything like that. That's the type of guy you would give a call to. I know it's illegal, but like in terms of tampering, but <laughs> hey, this is a proven guy at the Big Ten level who, you know, he'll at least provide a solid starting play no matter what. And like yeah. that's what Robert Longerbeam did. I thought Flip Dixon would do that, but to your point, he actually did more. I think the only reason I had him kind of in Longerbeam kind of 4A, 4B on my list was because corner is you're more on an island. But Dixon took plenty of his own coverage assignments. You know, he he did more, kind of like we talked about with Manungai. Like, there's being able to make a play with the available yardage and the line blocked for you. That's what most running backs can do. But, and the same thing kind of with safety. There's being in your place as a deep safety or coming up to support the run in your lane. But Dixon did more than that. I mean, in terms of helping on other receivers, coming up and make big, big plays, stopping people in their tracks rather than letting them fall forward, all those sort of things that they might not win you a game on face, but if you add them up over the course of a game, even like that Temple game, I mean, Dixon was basically like, you're not getting in this end zone during that right. one sequence when they tested him twice in the passing game and once in the run game. And Temple ended up scoring, I think, on their next drive, but – that really set a tone for this defense for maybe the entire season that, you know, he was going to lay the wood. He was coming up from that deep safety spot and it took a lot of pressure off of Igbenosin and loyal to say, okay, this guy is kind of our, our leader up in the backside. And so we are going to just, we can just do what we need to do right now. And now the hope was that those guys might be able to grow into what Dixon brought the team this year, but I mean, he was a huge addition from the transfer portal. And I don't know how, how many times in a row or how many years you're going to be able to get a guy with that kind of impact just straight off the bat as one of your defensive leaders like that. Any other thoughts on Dixon? I know you're even higher on him than I've been. Yeah, well, what I thought was was uh, really unique and impactful with him is that he was explosive he, he did have the ability to make big hits, but he also, he was very consistent. Like he, he didn't have a lot of missed tackles, you right. know, and, and, and we've seen so many, like I, I, I'm just going off the eye test here, 
Um, I looked at pro football focus at one point in terms of missed tackles and it was, you know, Rutgers was only averaging about five missed tackles a game for most of the season. I haven't, I haven't looked the last couple, but um, yeah. you know, how many years have we seen Rutgers, you know, missed tackles and, you know, runs turn into 30, 40 yard runs. And he just was, he was very sure, sure, sure handed back there where, you know, you felt confidence as a defense that, you had him as your last resort, and they weren't getting by him. Worst case, if they got through everybody else, he was there to st- put an end to it. And I thought that the way he was able to be explosive, but also, um, you know, he, he he wasn't overly aggressive where he gambled too much, you know, like he was right, able to exactly. make the plays and keep people in front of him. So he had that balance where I think is not so easy to have. Um, and I think that he's also a high IQ player. And I think he, he was a seamless fit with Harris Simiak and knowing his system already. It just made a lot of sense um, for a lot of reasons. And um, yeah, so hopefully he does return. You know, I don't know if you saw on social media, Motorey basically called out Longer Beam and Dixon saying, hey, guys, when are you coming back? So um, we'll see. They haven't announced yet. I'm sure NIL is part of that. You know, who knows who's talking to them in the portal? Who knows what they're thinking about the NFL? But I think that if you get Dixon back, and longer beam. I mean, your defensive core is is more or less intact other than Melton, who, you know, is very good. But at the same time, you know, not surprising he's going to the draft. Uh, and then we've talked about Eric Rogers as another guy out of the portal who, you know, showed some real signs this year uh, in terms of playing well in his place. And he'll have the opportunity to play for him in the bowl game. So I think the defense is in a really good spot uh, in terms of what they bring back. They obviously made a step forward this year. I think the hope again can they take another step forward next year? I don't think it's a given. I think that, you know, with a lot of veteran guys, the question is how much better can they get? Obviously, right. having that nucleus back is going to help, you know, in terms of them all uh, understanding each other and gelling together more. Um, you know, who do they plug and play in other spots? But I think that at a minimum, you know, this certainly on the face of it should be another top half Big Ten defense going into next year. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminded me of two things I've been thinking about for during the long break before while we were thinking about doing this podcast. One is when you talk about everybody coming back, you know, you see this a lot in baseball or basketball where it's like you have a roughly 500 team, maybe you're, you know, 14 and 17 or whatever, and you're like, hey, well, we got everybody back. And then the question is, well, is that good? <laughs> like you were not that good. So it's true. You know, sometimes, but. So, but I think in football, it's completely different than baseball and basketball for that because of how much the guys develop year over year. And then also it's not really a fair comparison because the Rutgers defense was not an average unit. They were above, right? Yeah. So having everybody back for them is is obviously good. But then that kind of leads into the other point that I was thinking about is, and, and we kind of talked about this a little bit in the previous podcast, is like, I think especially on defense in football, you need attrition at every position each year. Usually, and ideally that attrition is go to the NFL. Like, because there needs to be an opportunity and motivation for those guys lower in the depth chart to say, okay, I have an opportunity for playing time. And if I play well, I can step into that role. And so the fact that, you know, your defense, you know, you're losing a couple guys in the defensive line, there's opportunity there. And yeah, maybe defensive end has got a little bit of a log jam. But like we talked about, if Jordan Thompson plays better, other guys can shift inside. They can play different looks. They rotate like fine. At linebacker, Jennings is gone. So that's an opportunity there. If you play well, then Motoray can play more defensive line. Like, And so it's two parts, right? One, you're more motivated because you're like, hey, I'm going to get some playing time. The returning guys, 
have to be a little bit more motivated to be like, okay, I don't want to lose my reps to these guys. And then also the risk of like the tran like a transfer is lower too, because you're like, I see a path to playing time. So the guys who see the path, they're less likely to transfer. And then when they do stay, they're like, okay, I'm going to work harder in practice. I mean, we definitely saw situations, especially in Chris Ash, um, where they were playing the defensive line, you know, Darius Hamilton, JPL, they were playing them too many snaps. And it felt like the backups were not ready because I don't know if their preparation wasn't as good. They weren't getting as many reps. And then similarly at linebacker with the Roberts and Morris, like they were okay, but they did not look motivated. Like in that game against Kansas, when Rutgers played like absolute trash, like Deontay Roberts was playing really hard. Like he always does. But yeah. at a certain point it was like, he, he didn't, it's like, dude, we're down 55, 14. Like, and he, yeah. he had to take his foot off the gas a little bit just because. And so, you know, you need those younger guys to see, like, I got an opportunity and I'm going to work for it. And so, you know, Max Mellon going to the NFL, it's good because that shows you, okay, there's guys leaving um, for the right reason to go to the next level. And now there's an opportunity for other guys to earn snaps. And corners, again, a position. If you play well and you're the number four or five corner, but they feel like they can play four or five, they'll play four or five. If they feel like they can only play three, they'll only play three. So you have an opportunity to, you know, force the team to put you on the field. And so that's where I think this defense couldn't have had a better offseason, in my opinion, in terms of growth opportunities, but then likely less likely uh, of a regression like we talked about. Yeah, and I think if, if Dixon and Longerbeam come back, I think the defense has a real chance to be dominant in the bowl game and really be a, another jumping off point for them going into next season. I think you're right with the depth. You know, I do think that the Rutgers defense got banged up a little bit in November. Uh, obviously, a lot of physical games back to back to back. And, uh, you know, we did see a little bit of a lack of depth there. So that is a very good point about still needing to develop behind these guys. Um, but you're right. There is going to be enough opportunity, I think, for guys to play roles. Um, and, uh, you know, even on the snap counts, if you look at Loyal and Nick Benusen, I mean, they, they didn't play – more than 75% of the snap, there's going to be snap opportunities for guys that, that deserve it. So um, it only makes your defense stronger with, with, with the more depth that they potentially can have now. Again, not having to plug keyholes, just building upon it. Uh, and uh, that's obviously hoping that Dixon returns, um, which is a big part of that, as well as longer being, which we should hear anytime. So let's, uh, let's end this with QB discussion. Some news uh, late when, uh, Tuesday. Uh, that uh, Rutgers is set to host this weekend. Uh, Minnesota quarterback Athen uh, uh, Kaliak Manis, uh, recruited by Kirk Shiraka to Minnesota, plead. Uh, part of that last year for Shiraka at Minnesota was the starter this past year. Um, you know, uh, we'll talk about what we think that what he brings to the table. But we were also going to do an episode dedicated to the whole quarterback conversation. Um, but I think we could at least work part of it in now just in terms of Gavin Wimsett uh, and kind of the pros and cons. And, and honestly, I just to talk, start, I'm a little surprised by this uh, simply because uh, I think that they uh, do uh, have shown that they're committed to Wimsett. But what I think this does is like for me, like this is more aggressive than just bringing in a transfer portal quarterback that there's really no ties to the program, right? Now you're potentially going go, or you're bringing in with interest a quarterback that your offensive coordinator recruited, coached, and you're bringing him, you know, in, in on an official visit. It's going to be fascinating from, uh, I think, 
in terms of how what message does that send Wimsit? How does Wimsit mentally handle it with the bowl game two weeks out? And and what your thoughts are just on that potential move and and can they coexist and how much of an upgrade would it be? I know that's I I just gave you a bunch of points to talk on, but I want to let you go. Sure. So I mean I guess there's plenty of things that we talk about where college is becoming more like the NFL and some that are not. And so in the NFL, like kind of with all this roster tension, you got to keep your young, talented players. Like if you don't, it's really, really hard to build anything of substance. Quarterbacks kind of interesting. It's, it doesn't really fall into that. I think that what we've seen from these college teams is like, you either have to decide you're going to be a program that sticks with your guy or you have, or you're just going to be getting a mercenary quarterback every year. Like we're seeing with Oregon, Oklahoma, Auburn kind of lost one guy, but then brought in another guy, right? They brought in Peyton Thorne. And so you kind of have this carousel. And this is going to be interesting because sometimes like in, it's like musical chairs. Sometimes you're going to get a good chair and sometimes you're not for that next year. And then like, then what? And I don't know if Rucker, Rucker's in an interesting position where I don't know if they can absorb the risk of losing a proven starting quarterback. That being said, my personal opinion is you have to get a higher completion percentage from the quarterback spot next year. If you think that's Wimsett, okay, but you better be right. My with Kelly McManus, this is a really interesting one because you know when I'm when I'm thinking about this, uh, first of all, like I'm thinking about you know Th- Thomas Sowell, the you know famous economist. He says every time you're trying to make a decision. You have to say, compared to what, at what cost, and do you have any hard evidence to support that? Now, right. in terms of, let's just say Calic Manis, for example, right? Compared to what? Well, his stats were almost identical to Gavin Wimsett this year, <laughs> both in a run and pass game. Numerically, maybe it was a little higher. Pro Football Focus had them basically right next to each other in terms of their effectiveness running the ball and their effectiveness passing the ball. Now, that said... So compared to what? Maybe maybe he's an upgrade, maybe not. At what cost? I don't know how much a quarterback like him is going to be in the portal. I'm assuming that if he was to be on the open market versus maybe leveraging personal relationships, that he would be commanding at least four or 500000 just because he's a proven Power 5 starter on a bowl team. I mean, yeah, they squeaked into a bowl at 5-7, and seven, but, you know, you have to – so then you have to think to yourself, well – is that what Gavin would be worth if he who were to leave? I don't I don't know what he's getting right now in terms of an NIL deal, but there's all kinds of factors like that they have to weigh when they're making this decision. And then last is the hard evidence. And the hard evidence would say on a glass half full is that Calliac Madness's best football was played under Kirk Shiraka last year, not this year. And so perhaps there's an opportunity where he would be better playing for Rutgers this year, or I'm sorry, next year than he was for Minnesota this year. It's possible. But then as I just mentioned against a similar schedule, he had almost the exact same stats as Gavin Wimsett. He's a tick below him as a runner. They're basically the number two and three most effective runners in the big 10 behind JJ McCarthy. But of course, McCarthy had a lot going on with, with receivers downfield. So um, you know, hard evidence. I think you could make a case either way with, with him. But again, I'm just using him as an example. And you know, there's plenty of other type of quarterbacks you could get in the portal. 
I'm just trying to frame it up for our listeners. Yeah, just to clarify, so I agree with you that Calamanis uh, has, you know, has been efficient as a runner, but he hasn't been used as a runner as much as Wimsett was, at least his past year. You know, he, he only had, I mean, obviously sack yard is just figured into it, but he only ran 74 times, not 100 yards. So, but yes, under Shiraka, if you look two years ago, you know, he was averaging about five carries, 30 uh, 40 yards a game. So he was used more effectively in the run game. And I think he could be, uh, you know, in this system here. I think Wims is certainly a more dynamic runner, but I think that he's not such a, I've seen a lot of comments out there that Calic Manis, you know, isn't a, a mobile runner at all. I don't think that's true either. Uh, I think he's somewhere in between, you know, touchdowns to interceptions. I mean, he was better. He was uh, had 14 touchdowns, nine interceptions. What is interesting is his last five games, eight touchdowns, uh, three interceptions. It was also interesting, like, he, they lost to Purdue in Illinois, right? And he only had a completion percentage combined of, like, 46%, but he threw six touchdowns and zero interceptions. So, right. it, you know, I, I think you could argue he's been – he's definitely been better than Wimsett. How much of a I, – I think I think he raises your floor. I don't necessarily think he raises your ceiling, if that makes Agreed. sense. Agree 100%. Agree 100%. So, I think what you're saying – they have to get a higher completion percentage, right? So I think if you look at it from that terms, from that context, they probably think he can. But it's very interesting, too, because there's a lot of dynamics in here we don't know, right? It's the NIL. Can they afford both? Uh, you know, does this does this make Wimsett look elsewhere now? How does Wimsett handle this going into the bowl game, right? He needs to play well no matter what, whether he's right. – you know, trying to solidify his starting position at Rutgers and proving that he is the starter or potentially, you know, who knows if this does, ha if he does uh, commit ultimately Kalimanakis, uh, Kalimanakis, uh does Wimsett then in his mind, okay, this is a showcase game for me to then go out in the portal or is it an open competition in spring? I mean, there's so many variables if for, 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 any, uh, for anything else, this makes things a lot more interesting. And um, I, I think that, Again, they could have potentially targeted any transfer portal quarterback, right? The fact that they, they targeted him specifically, I think, is really interesting. And I, th I think it shows that they're serious in, 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 in really, uh, you know, adding to the position depth. We know they have A.J. Serres coming in. Uh, we know Ajani Shepard is back. Uh, so, you know, they, they, they need – I didn't like that they only had three scholarship quarterbacks this year. I think they need four. Uh, again, what Wimsett ultimately decides is going to come down to that. Uh, and, and if, listen, we don't know if Calic Manis is definitely going to commit or not, but I think there's certainly enough relationship there to think that, okay, he's coming on campus. His brother's coming as well as a wide receiver. You have to assume they're a package deal. There's, there, there's definitely some context to this that, you know, a little bit of where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, I mean, when we were originally just talking about an episode straight up about quarterback and perhaps we go in more depth on this, I basically made a matrix of like power five starter, power five guy, but maybe a high prospect. Maybe you're talking about your like former Hayden Reddick type or group five guy who was pretty accurate, which would be like our good old friend Cole Snyder, for example, um, or maybe like an FCS star player. Like those are really the only four type of guys Rutgers should be even targeting in the portal. Yeah. And then on the other axis was just NIL. Like how much would it be the impact there? 
an opportunity to start. If you brought in a guy from a group of five who was just an accurate passer, maybe you could have him come in and say, hey, you might not be the starter, but they would be willing to roll the dice because they were a starter already at, you know, a Mac team or something like that. How many years left, obviously, is a huge factor because, you know, whatever Rutgers long-term strategy matters. And then the other one is just personal relationships because maybe you can pull leverage that a little bit more. And Rutgers has proven to care about that. And that's where I think this move kind of fits in. So, I mean, they, like I said, the number one thing for me is they have to get more accuracy, period. Who can provide that? The other thing is Shiraka has not, other than Chase Dodd, I don't think he's ever had a true freshman play, but he has had redshirt freshman play. So maybe a Johnny Shepard is okay as your number two if you were to lose, um, if, if you were to just have Wimsat or someone else in that role. I mean, because you have to figure if you had two of proven guys, then Shepard might also be a flight risk. So you have to weigh all these variables and you could probably have one person who just manages the quarterbacks from this standpoint, not even coaching because this is how complicated we are in the college right now. I mean, the NFL, you have a guy under contract, he can't leave, but in college, you don't have that luxury, you know? So there's a lot. I mean, I wouldn't want to have to make this decision, um, but I agree with you hundred percent. I think, I don't think Calic Manis' ceiling is as high as Wimsett, but I do think that his level of play would be maybe a higher floor, but even that is debatable. If you were to go like a Cole Snyder type, a guy who was a group of five good, he was better last year than this year because of his teammates being worse. Um, I mean, he wasn't as good as Evan Simon, who you had on the team last year and you didn't even play. So, like, if you go the group of five, like, starter route, like, I'm not sure if that changes the the calculus much either. So, and they haven't proven that they are interested in any of these FCS, like, star players. It doesn't seem like. So, I guess we'll see what happens. And and maybe Wimsett will play his best game of the season if he feels this, some of this pressure. Like, you also talk about in the NFL is, like, if you're a quarterback and you can't handle the possibility of a quarterback controversy, how are you going to handle blitzers coming in your face when it's even more urgent, right? Like if you can't handle that, then, you know, that might, might be an indication that it's not the best situation for you. Um, I hope Wimsett plays great. I hope he's back next year. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I think that you, it's a good signal if you can continue to develop players, if you're Rutgers. Yeah, and I think those are great points. And I think the last point I want to make is I agree with you uh, in terms of, again, I think Wimsey still gives you the best ceiling. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how he handles this situation. Um, And I think from a realistic standpoint, you know, uh, fans' expectations with the transfer portal. Like, I I think that while I think that Wimsey still has the higher ceiling, I think Halleck Manis also – is probably your best bet in the transfer portal from a proven standpoint in the Big Ten, from a reliability standpoint. You know, he's a known commodity to the staff. I think he's a good option if you are going to go that route. And I think if you also look at it, you know, Rutgers is in on a lot of uh, guys, at least reportedly, that, you know, it's not to say they can't help, but they're looking at guys in the Ivy. 
you know, they're, they're talking to a Division II receiver. You know, Anthony Johnson, defensive lineman from Youngstown State, is on uh, was visiting. Um, these are all guys that could potentially help. But I think it also gives you perspective in that, you know, Rutgers is not going to bring in 10 Power 5 players through the portal to help. You know, they're just not going to be able to get those guys, whether it's an NIL issue, whether it's, a you know, just a, a state of the program in terms of those guys looking to go to – more established winners. It, it, there's obviously multiple factors there, right? But at the same point, I think you can't poo-poo Calumanis as an option and then get excited about all these guys coming from the Ivy. I mean, I think you just have to have some realistic – I think again, I think some of those guys, they all excel. I think Rutgers does a good job of targeting guys that do really well at the level they're coming from. But it's never a guarantee on how that will translate. And we've seen mixed results in the past and even this past year in terms of how guys have done stepping up a level. So I think it's, you know, in terms of fan expectation, I think it needs to be kept in check some. I think the fact that there is a lot of stability returning now, the retention has been huge. I think that should have been the priority because you have proven players you can count on. And I think the NIL priority was there, and I think rightfully so. And I think now it's a matter of how can you plug those holes. I think you're going to have to be creative. I think going down to lower levels is smart by getting guys that are proven at that level and you hope you can develop them further. But I think that, you know, expectations have to be in kept check too, because, you know, people that are saying, you know, Kyle McCord should come to Rutgers. I mean, that was a delusional thought from day one. And Kyle McManus is another big 10 starter that you're talking to. And you're not talking to any, or at least reportedly other power five starters at any other position. So, you know, I think that, I, I know I'm rambling a bit, but my overall point is I think that Rutgers staff is doing a really good job in targeting what they're we're targeting in terms of upgrading the roster. But I think it's also, a, uh, uh, I think, a reality check in terms of how they're going to have to go about it and what is realistic in terms of being able to plug those holes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, but and then, of course, the sense of urgency, right? Because like we talked about, there's the domino effect of how much money do you have available? Quarterbacks command the most, and this carousel goes first. And then you might be able to grab a Division two receiver or even a receiver that's coming from maybe another Power 5 team but had a coaching change or something like that. You might be able to grab one of those guys in the spring. And it doesn't take them eight months to get ready to go. But you really want to know what your quarterback situation is by late January right? Where you yep. have a head start long before spring practice that all those guys have the playbook. Ideally, all the guys that are on the roster now, plus maybe one or two additions, and then you go from there. And so, and then that also lets you make other decisions about how you might leverage different resources. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I hope when I hope that Wimsat is back, but I can see a scenario where even if he's not the team could be better, but they could be worse, right? There's no guarantee that without him pounding the rock against Indiana, that Rutgers wins that game. We saw Indiana kind of play some good games, play some bad games the second half of the season. Basically, Wimsett and his running ability gave them no hope in that game. He squashed them himself. And so, you know, I just – this offense needs to be better. I think the number one thing is getting more accuracy out of your quarterback and – I don't think this is an offense that needs a 65% completion percentage. That's not what they need if your quarterback can run a little bit. Whereas maybe in the Sean Gleason offense, you did need a 60, 65% passer, but you got to be at 55%. You got to, you can't be 45. You can't be 50. You got to be 
threatening defenses that you can hit those short passes and a threat of an intermediate pass or long pass now and then. Excellent points as always. This is an action-packed episode. Thank you for your time. Uh, we'll be back soon enough together to preview the Rutgers-Miami game and talk more off-seasons about also Nationals' early signing day next week as well. David Anderson, thanks as always, and thank you for listening and watching once again here at the Scarlet Faithful Podcast.